Well, hello, family. We've come here to worship the Lord. Amen? Amen. If you're a guest or a curious skeptic with us this morning, we want to welcome you to Crossway. I hope God really uh, speaks to you today and blesses you. Uh, If you would, grab your Bibles, open them up, Genesis 42. Genesis 42 is where we're going to be reading from today. We're continuing our series in Genesis called Redeemed Despite All Dysfunction. And I realize that I've been using that word a lot, and I haven't really defined it. So before we get to the scripture reading, what what does it mean to be redeemed? Uh, To redeem something or to redeem someone means to liberate them, to free them uh, from physical or economic bondage. It's kind of like when someone goes to the pawn shop and they pawn their favorite guitar because they want to get a quick loan, small loan. Well, they come back, they have to pay that loan back. They have to pay the cost to get their guitar out of hawk and get it back, to repossess it, basically. And that's what redemption is. Biblically, if a person has been redeemed, then they've been set free from the custody or authority of one power, and they have been placed into the rightful custody of Almighty God. So in the story that we're going to look at this uh, this afternoon, Joseph's brothers are going to travel all the way to Africa, and they're going to unknowingly meet the brother that they tried to murder. 13 years earlier. So I just want you to imagine what that meeting was like. (laughs) What's going on in everybody's mind. Uh, I also want you to notice something. Notice how little these older brothers know. Notice how weak they are, powerless they are now. And notice how much, like how all-knowing and all-powerful Joseph is. It's almost like he's God to them in contrast. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Genesis 42, 1 through 25. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he asked, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my lord. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place, unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. 
On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And then bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you uh, for your word to us and that you're speaking, God. And God, you have this unique ability to just read our mail. And so, Lord, I want to ask that Today, you would read our mail through this passage. I pray that you would convict us of our sin and that you would give us the courage to repent and that you would also show us Jesus. Amen. Have you ever been in a scenario where it dawns on you, like right in the middle of that situation, that you are in way, way over your head? <laughs> You know, you, you thought maybe that you could handle the situation, but it finally becomes embarrassingly clear that you're in too deep. You got to call someone for help. You know, maybe you're in the middle of a project. You realize that the challenges are well beyond your skills and way beyond your previous experiences because you never experienced anything like this before. So all that's out the window. Or maybe you do the math and you realize that you are upside down in debt. Everyone else could plainly see that you were in deep trouble except you. People, maybe people offered you wisdom. They offered you help, but you didn't accept it because you didn't realize the mess that you were in. But now you realize it. Now you realize, you know what? I may not make it out of here with everything intact. Do you, do you know what I mean? That's a really sinking feeling when it comes over us, amen? And it's a hard realization to accept because it exposes our pride, amen? But you know what? It's the first step in the journey towards redemption. Joseph's brothers are making a very similar journey towards redemption when they travel from Canaan to Africa to buy food. They think that a lack of food is the biggest threat to their life. But it isn't. It is a threat. It's not the biggest threat, though, to their life. Like we talked about earlier in the series, they are trapped in a web of dysfunction that will destroy them, and it will destroy their families. But they don't see how big that threat is. Not yet. And because we haven't really read these stories together, here's a real quick recap of, of these dysfunctional brothers. 
Reuben, he's the oldest, if you remember, he slept with his father's concubine. And he did this to assert his authority and power in the family. Uh, Judah, he slept with his own daughter-in-law, and that's only because he thought she, he, she was a shrine prostitute. Simeon, we're going to hear about him in a minute, and Levi, they together commit genocide against the Shemites in a revenge fight. And when they do that, they put a big target on their entire family as a retaliation war might break out because they're so hot-headed. And, of course, we know all nine of them conspire together to murder their little brother, Joseph. And these guys are going to be the God-fearing leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel? Seriously? Not in their current state. Not in their current state. They need redemption from their sins. Or they will die. They'll die from the power of their dysfunctions, but they don't realize it. It's all around them, but they don't realize it. Their biggest worry is finding food, not forgiveness. That's where their priorities are. And you know what, guys? In much the same way, we do not realize how deep our need for redemption is either. Amen? I mean, we often think our biggest need is paying the rent by the end of the month. Or maybe getting groceries this week. Or electing the right official. We think these are our biggest needs. So here's the question. How do you redeem someone? Like how do you rescue someone who does not believe that they're in a dangerous situation? How do you do that? Well, it takes a very specific kind of of redeemer, a very special redeemer, in fact. What Genesis 42 teaches us is that we need a redeemer who is both a lion and a lamb. We need a redeemer that is both at the same time a lion and a lamb. And so first we're going to talk about this uh, lion redeemer. We need a redeemer that awakens our guilt. We need a redeemer that awakens our guilt. Let's go to the text, verse 15. Joseph says this, by this you shall be tested or, or proven. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest, youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you all, you all remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies." And he put them all together in custody for three days. Now, on the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live, for I fear God. This is the first time anyone's brought up God, by the way. He says this, If you're honest men, then let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go, oh, and carry grain for the famine of your household and bring your youngest brother to me so that your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Now see, Joseph sees his brothers, but they don't see him, do they? 
When they bow down before him, Joseph remembers the dreams that God gave him when he was 17 years old, and he finally knows what those dreams meant. He knows that it means that God is going to use him to rescue his dysfunctional family, thereby keeping his promise that he made to Abraham all those years ago. God's going to be faithful, and God's going to use Joseph as his instrument of redemption for keeping this promise. But first, Joseph has to help his family see that they need rescuing. Or they won't receive it. They won't receive that. Remember, guys, remember this. These are hardened men. They've got blood on their hands, but not on their conscience. You understand what I'm saying? They're fine with that. So Joseph tests them to see if their hearts have been softened over the last 13 years. The all-powerful, all-knowing governor of Egypt roars like a lion at them. It's pretty rough, isn't he? It's pretty harsh with them. He harshly accuses them repeatedly over it. It doesn't matter what they say. His answer is always going to be, you're spies. It doesn't matter what they say. He's, he's roughing them up. He constantly, he's, he's telling them that they're deceivers, which they are, and he knows this. That's what a spy is, right? A deceiver. And their defenses declared to be honest men, which they are not. And he knows this also. He knows everything about this. He's reading their mail. And then he devises this unsavory test to prove themselves men of their word. He gives them three days in prison to think about the situation. And then he modifies the test after that third day. Did you notice how it changed it? He separates the many brothers from the one. Did you see that? He separates the many from the one. And he does this so that the many can actually carry more food back to his dad and his little brother Benjamin, whom he loves. And so he's being merciful right now. He's caring for people. But it also lets Joseph see if they're going to tell another lie, enjoy that food that they have, and sacrifice the brother that got left behind like they did to him. Remember that story? Joseph puts them in exactly the same scenario that they put him in. He reverses everything down to the detail, guys, if you read it. And he does this to see if their hearts have been softened. He's not, this is not revenge, okay? You know what revenge would be? I judge you, you die. I'm the governor of Egypt. That's revenge. This is not revenge. He's actually showing them mercy. He's showing them mercy like all throughout this, but he's showing them mercy in a few ways by forcing them to have difficult conversations with each other for three days in prison, which doesn't even compare to the 13 years in prison that he spent and all alone with no brother to talk to, right? They don't even compare. Not only that, but he's tying up their brother in front of their eyes. It's supposed to awaken their consciences. He's trying to prick their conscience. He's trying to arouse and awaken the guilt. They are guilty. Whether they, feel, they don't feel it. But they are guilty. They've done wrong. And he's doing, like, they're going to look at their other brother getting tied up, and they're supposed to think, we're, that's happening because of us. We're causing that to happen. That's why he doesn't do it privately. Joseph is actually mercifully disciplining them so that they will acknowledge their sin and not be destroyed by it. But here's the thing. The brothers cannot receive grace until they first feel their guilt. 
to offer that would be like, why do I need grace? <laughs> you got it wrong. I don't even need it. Brothers and sisters, there is a healthy guilt, okay? There is a guilt that leads people to repentance. There is a guilt that leads us to seek forgiveness from God, whom we've trespassed repeatedly. Listen, God disciplines all his true children. Do you know that? Look at Hebrews 12, 6. It says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he rejects. Is that what it says? No, let me try that again. He chastises every son whom he receives, accepts. You are my daughter and my son. That's why I chastise and discipline you. It's the evidence. It's the proof. Look at verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, later on, it, re- it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. But here's the condition. To those who have been trained by it. Not everyone's trained by the Lord's discipline. They reject it. But if you receive it and you're trained by his discipline, you bear the fruit of peaceful righteousness. And that's what God wants for us. That's what he wants for all his true children. You see, the Lord's discipline is actually part of the process of redemption. He knows that we will not accept his redemption until we acknowledge that we are in prison. We'll not embrace his rescue until we recognize that our life is in mortal danger. Why? Because sin makes us prideful. D-I-Y culture. I can do it myself. One thing that's clear throughout all of Scripture is that God opposes the proud, whoever they are. But he gives grace to the humble, whoever they are indiscriminately. You see, when we come at God hard and we come at God tough and claiming to be a self-sufficient rock, well, God comes at us hard and tough, and he shows himself to be the rock of ages and how breakable we are. Just smash up against that rock of ages, and you'll see how much a rock you are when you come at a God like that, right? But when we come to God weak, and humble, and I'm hungry, and I'm thirsty, God receives us, and he feeds us till we're full, and he speaks sweetly and gently to us. and says, come to me, you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Thanks for admitting you're tired, and you can't do it yourself. Amen? So in his love, the Lord humbles us. He humbles us, his proud children, sometimes through suffering, sometimes through withholding his consolations and his blessings for a season. Sometimes the lion roars to awaken our consciences so that we can be redeemed. That's the end goal. When we suffer, it is wise on occasion to ask God if he's disciplining us. That's okay to ask every once in a while. I mean, if he sees something that's objectionable in our life, search me and try me, O Lord, see if you find any objectionable way in me, right? Isn't that what the psalmist says? 
Check in with him. Lord, have I been ignoring you in an aspect of my life and you're trying to get my attention? You've got my attention. What, what do you want of me? Have I been ignoring my brothers and sisters like Joseph's brothers ignored him? Have I been doing that lately? And you're trying to awaken my conscience? Do I functionally live like I don't really need you to live? Have I been intentionally disobeying you and just expecting you to bless my disobedience? Search me and try me, Lord. You have my attention. These are good, honest prayers we should pray from time to time. We need a Redeemer who awakens our guilt, and we need a Redeemer who awaits our sorrow. He awaits our sorrow. Aren't you glad that this line is really patient? Look at the text, verse 21. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. So that they, they kind of name him, right? Not just in general, but concerning their brother. And that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin? This is the first time that that word's come up out of his mouth, by the way. All of a sudden, theological words are starting to come up. And do you see what's happening? Do you, hear, do you see the awakening? Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. So they think he's dead, right? They think they killed him. So in love, in love, Joseph has tried to awaken his brother's conscience so that they will live and not die. That's his end goal. He didn't want him to die. He wants him to live. He wants to hug him eventually. And so he's trying to awaken their conscience. And so the question is, will they toughen up and will they resist the discipline? Will they bow up? I could take that. I could take three days in the hole. Are they going to bow up or are they going to bow down? That's the question. What's their response? That's only two, two chances they got, two choices. Are they going to tell the truth and confess? And we see that they choose to confess and admit the truth. And so, guys, I want you to notice, listen, I want you to notice how they confess because this is very instructive to us on the kind of confession that actually makes God smile, the, the kind of confession that pleases the Lord that he receives, okay? Three things here. First of all, they admit that they did something wrong. I know I'm being Captain Obvious, but it starts here. They admit that they did something wrong. They do not say, well, mistakes were made. <laughs> they said, we did wrong. We are guilty. Not dad, not the weather, not the economy because it's worldwide famine. We did it. We are guilty, and there is no explanation of our sins that somehow make our sins virtuous or justifiable. They're not going, hey, two wrongs make a right. They're saying two wrongs is really wrong. We're wrong. 
Secondly, notice they specify whom they wrong. So that they did wrong, they specify whom they wrong. They did wrong against their brother Joseph. Oh, and also God. You see, we learn here that true repentance names real and specific people because our sins are always against real and specific people. There's a person on the other end of that thing that we did, and there is a God on the other end of that thing that we thought or said. And so we need to name them. That is part of confessing because it makes it real because it is real. Thirdly, they specify how they did wrong, and they acknowledge the impact on the victim. Check this out. They say, we ignored his begging for mercy. So they not only verbalize the wrong that they did, but also the right that they should have done that they didn't do. What should have they done? They should have listened to him begging for his life, and they didn't do it, right? Sometimes our sins are sins of omission, and they're just as deadly. They're just as wrong, and we need to confess that. We need to name it and say that. They also go on to say, you know, our ignoring his cries caused distress to his soul. Isn't that interesting? They acknowledge what they can about how their actions impacted the other person, including God. They have ultimately wronged God in wronging Joseph, and they verbalize that. They're saying, hey, there's going to be a reckoning for this from God. And all of our sins are first and foremost against God who's made that person in, the, in his image. And so they verbalize that. They put words to that. They're not just feeling bad about it. They're, they're, they're verbalizing this. Now, it might sound something like this for us. You know, my actions have caused you, my actions uh, must have caused you to lose sleep and stirred up a lot of anxiety. I am really sorry I did not get back to you like I said I would. I was wrong. Or maybe it sounds like this. Lord, I've made this thing an idol that I worship. And when I run to it for security, I am saying that you are not enough to protect and ground me. I am declaring that I need something more than you in my life. And that, must re- that just must offend you so. I was wrong to do that. I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me. This is a great confession of guilt that the brothers make here. This is a heart that is soft and it's able to accept redemption. And this is what Joseph has been hoping for. I mean, we even get the impression that he actually wants to forgive them. Their confession still needs to be tested as authentic with actions to be sure, but it is a really, really good start. They are starting off in a good spot. They're on the road to redemption. So the question is, why does our Redeemer even awaken our guilt? Yeah, he does that, but why does he do that? Why do we need him to do that? Is it so that we'll tremble forever? Is it, is it so that we'll forever feel bad or feel guilty? That's what some people think, and so they, they, don't want to, they, don't, they don't want that experience of guilt. So they shy away. They hide away. But, but why is he doing that? No, it's not so we'll feel bad forever. It's so that we'll no longer feel bad about that real thing that we did. It's not some very vague thing out there that's just always bugging us. It's specific, it's there, and we can address that. He wants us to 
sorrow over our sins that we'll turn from them and seek his forgiveness for our guilt. Our guilt will be erased. Though the Lord is a lion, this lion mercifully awaits our sorrow. He's patient. He graciously gives you and I time to repent because he loves you. He loves me. Brothers and sisters, if God is confronting you with your guilt, it's because he wants to free you from it, not crush you with it. The sin is crushing you, not God. The sin is crushing you, not God. Does that make sense? So name it. Turn and repent, and he wants to forgive and release you from it. He's awaiting our sorrow. Our Redeemer is not just a lion, but he is a lamb at the same time. We need a Redeemer who responds with his own tears. We need a Redeemer that responds with his own tears. Look at verse 24. It's real short, and if you blink, you might have missed it. So he hears them say the confession, right? This is where we are in the story. Then Joseph turned away from them and wept. Upon hearing their confession of guilt and acknowledgement that they deserve God's judgment, Joseph must turn away from them and weep. Joseph is not getting watery-eyed, by the way. He's not like, my allergies are strong today. Like, that's not what he's doing. He's breaking down, and he's crying like a little child. And so he has to literally leave the room that's weeping, okay? And by the way, this is not the last time that J Joseph will have to extract himself from the room to go weep. This happens multiple times because redemption's a process. It's not just an event, it's a process too. Like the question that we ought to be asking is like, why is he crying? <laughs> why is he crying? Like, he's in the place of strength, right? He's in the place of knowledge. He's in, he's in the place of advantage and strength, right? And he didn't do anything wrong. Why is he the one weeping? Pouring, he's pouring out tears. I think there's at least, it's at least for two reasons. First of all, I think it's because Joseph knows his brothers have spoken sincerely. Why? Because there's an interpreter there. In other words, he knows that they didn't, they didn't just say things that they knew he wanted to hear so that they could emotionally manipulate him. He knows they're not doing that. He knows what they said. They meant it. It was sincere. It was contrite. They really confessed. They really admitted guilt. And that sincerity is having a powerful effect upon his heart. But secondly, and I think this is actually really the bigger reason, I think he's weeping because Joseph is starting to forgive his brothers who are, have sinned against him. They cannot reconcile and embrace yet because there's more work for the brothers to do, but you know what? Forgiveness has started in earnest. It has begun in earnest. You know, guys, when we forgive someone, we release them. We release them from what they rightfully owe us. We don't say, ah, it didn't matter. It was nothing. No, it was something. And I forgive you. When there is a true offense in a relationship, the relationship is damaged at that point to the degree of the offense. 
like, uh, like there's a hole in the side of the house that they smashed their car through. You understand what I'm saying? And someone has to pay to fix the hole. They got to fix that hole in the wall in order to say that the house has been restored. Otherwise, there's a lie. It's lying. We're good. We're not good. There's a hole in the wall. See? And someone's got to pay to fix that hole. Someone has to pay the cost to make that wall and that house whole again. So when we say we're good, we really are good. That's true, that's true forgiveness. And so when we forgive someone, you know what we're saying? We're saying you no longer owe me for what you did. I'll pay to fix the hole. Someone has to pay, and I'm going to pay to fix the hole. And by the way, I will not seek payment from you in the future. The debt's settled. I'll take it out of my paycheck, not your paycheck. I forgive you. That's what we're doing. I'll sacrifice to settle this debt between us. That is why forgiveness is so hard and so unnatural, brothers and sisters. It is not natural to forgive someone that hurts you. It is supernatural. You know why? Because it really costs us to forgive someone. It's not just a feeling. There is an actual cost taking place. And that is what Joseph is doing here. He is forgiving. And that's why he's weeping. Because he is forgiving his evil brothers so that they will live. And it's costing him his tears. They're scared, but he's crying. Do you see the difference? And so instead of taking off his mask and saying, aha, I, I knew you heard me in that pit. I knew you ignored my begging. I heard it from your own mouth. You admitted you're guilty. Now I've caught you in your own words. Prepare to be judged, which he had every right to do. I mean, he, he could. He's the governor of Egypt. But instead of doing that, Joseph does not render judgment on them. As a matter of fact, Joseph turns away from them and absorbs the pain of forgiving his brothers. He's like a gentle lamb. This lion is turned into a lamb that's being sacrificed for the sins of his brothers so that they'll live and not die. This is the kind of redeemer that we need, brothers and sisters. In fact, this is the redeemer that we have in Jesus Christ, except way better than Joseph. Do you remember what Jesus said from the cross? What people were yelling at him and crucifying. Remember what he said? Luke 23, and Jesus said, from the cross, mind you, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. For they know not what they do. Jesus saw us, but we didn't see Jesus as the Lamb of God and the Son of God. He saw us, but we didn't see him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And here's how they respond. They take out some dice and they play games. They cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. That's how they responded. They just watched. They didn't do anything with that. But the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. For if, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one, Guys, this is amazing. Joseph graciously began to forgive 
among, uh, upon just hearing the confession from his brothers. They haven't even proven the test. They haven't even gone back. They haven't even changed anything. They just said we're guilty, and he's already ready to forgive them. At the mere confession, he's ready to forgive them. That's pretty awesome, right? That's pretty generous, right? The Christ forgave you and me before we even admitted we were wrong, before we even admitted we did anything wrong. He's amazing. Christ forgave us while we were actively sinning against him and enjoying every second of it. While we were playing games and loving it, he said, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. You haven't even confessed, I forgive you. It's for you. Isn't Jesus great? Isn't he wonderful? Jesus sacrificed himself like a lamb, and he paid the cost with tears and with blood so that we could be forgiven and ultimately redeemed and reconciled to him. Guys, we have a fearsome and a compassionate redeemer in Jesus Christ. Here's my final word to you. Turn to him for forgiveness today. If he is convicting you of anything, Turn to him. Confess it. Do this and we will live. He loves you. I love you too. Amen. Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. There is no one in the world that has loved us like you have. Lord God, I pray that right now by your spirit that you would convict convict us of any sin that we're guilty of, that we need to be free from, that we need to be liberated from, and liberate us from that guilt and shame. Give us the courage to, to turn towards you and trust you and receive your forgiveness, receive your mercy, for you are a lion and a lamb. We thank you for how you sacrificed yourself for us, And we thank you in Jesus' good name. Amen.